Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. It's been a long, hot, dry summer in the valley. A crow flies past me on my morning walk, its beak open, panting to cool down. Lawns in my neighborhood have turned a golden brown. But the nights are drawing in now. Change is in the air. Back to school ads play on the radio. And people here in Port Alberni are looking forward to the fall fair. Life here moves on without Amber Manthorn. But Amber's friends and family are stuck. They wait for news, any news about Amber, about the investigation. Amber worked three jobs, including one as a cleaner. I spot this short, bittersweet note online from a local woman. I was at my stepdad's place this evening, which was the last house that Amber cleaned. I went to use the bathroom and looked over and the toilet paper was rolled so perfect with a little butterfly, like Amber always did after she cleaned. Nobody wants to touch it because she left it like that. Dear God, please bring our Amber home safe. Words can't express how much we all miss you. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Finding Amber Island Crime. Season 4. This season will sound a little different than past seasons. It's less scripted, less produced. I want to get as much information out there as quickly as possible in the hope that it could help the investigation and at the very least broaden the number of people who know about Amber's case. I had a conversation with a woman recently whose sister had been missing for two decades. Her sister, an adult living on the other side of the country, simply stopped calling one day. The family feared she had met with foul play. But then, news. Her sister had been in a care home all those years. Because of a medical condition, her sister couldn't tell her caregivers that she had family out here on the West Coast. Recently, in another part of Canada, a woman and her son, whose disappearance sparked a massive surge and a growing concern, turned up alive in the United States. These are both complicated stories in their own right, and they are not related to Amber's case. I have seen no evidence to suggest Amber was unwell or had any reason to leave behind her life here. Given the circumstances of her disappearance, those close to Amber are deeply worried that she has come to harm. But I think about these stories as summer winds down and the town of Port Alberni sits on edge, waiting to find Amber. Until there is evidence to the contrary, there is always that chance, that hope that Amber could be alive or that there is no criminality involved in whatever happened to her. 
If you've listened to past seasons of Island Crime, you will know this series is victim-focused, informed by those closest to the missing or murdered, with a goal of presenting their story in a meaningful and respectful light. As a journalist, I have a duty to be fair and balanced, and I know that hearing all perspectives is the best way to ensure a complete and accurate story. Amber is the heart of this narrative. But when Amber first vanished, her boyfriend Justin Hall was also presumed to be missing. Manthorne's Jeep Compass was found Friday afternoon on McGillivray Way near Nanaimo. After she disappeared, police say she may have been with a man. He was identified as Justin Hall, who Manthorne had been dating for close to a year. Mounties found Hall earlier this week. Investigators are really not in a position to, to disclose the specifics about where he was located or when, but we can say that we have been in contact with him and investigators followed up with him. So the search for Amber continues. Um, we've closed that piece off and we are continuing to search for Amber. That tied Justin to a police report and to the public conversation around Amber's disappearance. And as you heard in the last episode, Justin's own statements and behavior in this period raise more questions than answers. So this episode focuses on Amber's boyfriend, Justin Hall. Justin has not given any interviews, and he has not yet agreed to speak with me. So you'll hear from a number of people who know him well. I'm contacted by a woman who knows Justin from an earlier point in her life. She's concerned for her safety and asks that I keep her name confidential. Her voice has also been altered to protect her identity. She's on vacation. I catch up with her in a campground with her RV. I begin by asking about the Justin she first knew as a teenager. He was a a, a decent kid. He was going to high school in Surrey. He hung out with sort of a little bit more rebellious crowd, I would say. He he did, you know, him and his brother did drink and smoke a lot of weed and that sort of thing. He used to get into fights at school and got suspended here and there. But he, out of the brothers, he was definitely the one that seemed like, you know, a kinder soul and... Like he might actually make something of his life, I thought. You know, get out of that lifestyle. If one of the two of them was going to do it, it was going to be Justin. Uh, you know, I've heard that uh, he didn't necessarily have it easy growing up. Can can you shed any light on that? What his sort of home life is like, was like? So I know that both of them were physically and emotionally abused over the years. So they suffered a lot of abuse growing up. They were beaten didn't have a lot. Their mom was a single parent for the most part and didn't have very high paying jobs. I think she was in some sort of a clerical position. And then after being in a few abusive relationships, having to defend herself, she decided to become a roofer. She's a big lady. She was like six, six feet tall, I would say. And, you know, sort of become more tough in order to defend herself. And so Justin and Craig you know, also experienced that trauma. When I knew them, they lived in a small basement suite in Surrey. It was dark and dirty. They didn't have a vacuum. I remember they used to sweep the carpet every once in a while. They didn't have a shower. They only had a bathtub. And there was often very little food available to them. But there wasn't really anything on hand to even properly clean the house. So, you know, it wasn't 
I don't think the best upbringing. They often were kind of the party house in high school. And they had a lot of parties there. So definitely not the type of upbringing that is setting you up for success. And a lifestyle where I think like, if you don't have these things provided for you, you, out of desperation, you go to the store and you steal food or you, you know, that kind of thing is out of necessity sometimes as a young person growing up in that kind of a lifestyle. So when when you know Justin, is uh, criminality already starting to be part of his world? I don't remember any formal charges. His, his brother certainly had formal charges at that time and was going through a court proceeding. At that time, he was more just like getting into schoolyard fights and stuff like that, to my recollection. Of course, his brother's a couple years older than him, so was, I guess, further into that lifestyle. I mean, I think he was a kind person. I think he wanted to be a good person. But I think the cards that he was dealt, you know, didn't support that. And it takes a lot to get out of that lifestyle when, when you're living in it. And so I could see the good in him, but I could see him also struggle to, to go a different path because he had no means to do it. He was living with a mom and a brother as a, as a child, really. I mean, a teenager. What was he supposed to do? You know, he, he couldn't make it on his own at that point. And so I feel like, you know, I don't think he had a lot of choices at that time. And I, I, I hear that it just kind of got worse and worse and worse over the years. After I was not in contact with them anymore, I had heard that he at times was living on the street and had gone to jail and different things like that. So I don't think he wanted that lifestyle. This is a, a connection and a relationship from earlier in your life, it, it sounds like. So when you hear... Or how did you hear that he, I guess at first, appears to have gone missing? One of my friends sent me a text message and said, is this Justin, Justin? And it took me a while to find the article. And when I saw the pictures initially, I didn't recognize him, actually. Of course, he was a lot younger. It was like 20 years ago that I was in contact with him, but he didn't look the same at all. He never had tattoos when I knew him. He was not big and beefy and steroided up like he seems to be today. But I read the article and after I looked through some of the other pictures that I think were from Amber's postings of them together, then I was like, oh my goodness, that is him. Is there anything I, I left out? And I, you know, again, I want to be careful because I don't want to uh, identify you. But is there anything I've, I've left out or any context you want to make sure gets said? Yeah, good people sometimes do bad things because of circumstance, because of mental health, because of addiction. I don't know. I, that doesn't absolve whoever may be involved in this of responsibility, but there's more to it than just guilty or innocent kind of thing. There's more behind the story than a lot of us will ever know. To be clear, she's speaking here not specifically about Justin, but more generally about mental health and addiction. It's helpful to hear about Justin's young life, but I'm also anxious to understand his more recent world. 
I get a lead on someone who knows Justin from prison, who agrees to go on the record. Are you able to hear me? Can you hear me now? Is, yeah, I can. And can you say your name? Is it Davin or David? It's Davin Cochran. So I, I gather that you you know Justin. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And can you tell me how you guys know each other? Um, well, I was in a um, I was incarcerated, and there is a um, a treatment facility in um, Brandon Lake um, Correctional Center um, for recovering addicts. Um, and I was in there and I was running the kitchen. Um, I was in charge of all the meals and prepping it and doing all that stuff. And um, Justin had come in and um, to be honest, he was a very, very helpful, very respectful, nice, nice person. Um, he, uh, he actually um, at the time was um, into Buddhism. He actually started a group there. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really have any bad things to say about the guy. Um, you know, he would help anybody he could. Um, he was very patient, um, very caring. That's that's the weird thing. Um, obviously, he was incarcerated for something, right? Um, where we were in the treatment facility, which is called Guthrie, um, there we don't allow... We weren't allowed to talk about why we were in there or anything like that, right? Because it's called war storing and trying to get over a past. So, right. So I have no idea on, on his past, but I was in there for quite a while with him. And, um, yeah, everything that I know about him is, you know, it, this just blows me away of what is what's going on and what he's being accused of. Or Yeah, I, sh- I should say, I... I certainly am not uh, asking or expecting you to say anything bad about the guy. I I don't know him either. And he has not been charged with anything. He's not been named as a suspect or a person of interest. He just finds himself in a circumstance where his girlfriend is missing and he appears to be the last person who was with her. And so people are, you know, uh, to some extent, rightly curious about him and and trying to learn more about him at this point. And that's that's all. So, you know, ho- hopefully in a in a perfect world, she'll turn up. She'll be OK. Yeah. And, you know, uh, stranger things have happened for sure. So, yes, who, you're who, definitely correct there. Definitely stranger things have happened. That is for sure. It's helpful to just hear from people who know the guy Um, in the absence of hearing from him himself, hearing from those who know him and know him, have spent time around him is really helpful. So, you know, everything that you just said, I had I had not heard before. So that's really interesting. Yeah. What, um, when, when, when was that, Davin? How, how long ago was that? Um, so I've been out for, so that was, um, December 9th. Um, I got out, um, 2021, I believe, or 2020. So that was like, um, like just, just, uh, about two years ago is when the last time that I seen him, but I was in okay. there with him for nine months at least. Um, 
yeah, everything. I, I he even um, he took over my position, and um, so in there, there's um, like a coordinator. So it's like the person in charge of. There's leaders in the program. Um, I was one of them at the time, um, and then he actually got the opportunity to be the main leader, and he turned it down because he didn't want the conflict, and he just didn't want um, to have all that responsibility and um, deal with. Um, you know, he didn't want any conflict between anybody in there and he just wanted everybody to get along and having that position well not everybody likes you right so he's he definitely didn't want that so he took over my job when I trained him and um, you know everybody liked him like there wasn't one person in there that I could say and and we're talking we're we're in a place where it's a whole bunch of bad people right like um, that are trying to redo their life and become uh, better people and what I seen of him was nothing that i've heard so far to be honest every every single time i've ever interacted with him he would um he was either a, a shoulder to you know to to talk on or he was just yeah he was just there for everybody it was really nice um he was actually my workout partner um he ended up being um uh, i wouldn't say my mentor in there but he definitely became a, a good friend um and he, he had a way with people where it was, um, you know, everybody disliked him. He was, he would do anything for anybody in there. And that's the, that's a very strange thing that I'm not really understanding here is why, um, what happened when, what happened, right? So I guess we'll never really know until she either turns up or, or he speaks his piece about something, right? So, and which I really hope he does. And I, um, I seen him on Facebook just a little while ago and, I believe he was on the mainland, and he didn't look like he was doing so well. Um, I think he bent back um, back to using. When was the last time you talked to him? Can you? Um, last time I talked to him was um, the day that I got released, and that was on December 9th. And um, I think the last thing, what he said to me is I was, uh, I was really nervous about getting out because I was going to a, um, a, um, like a sober living environment. Um, and I was really nervous because I've, I've had my struggles and I've, I've failed quite a few times, but, um, I, I'm, I'm really stunned and I don't really know what to say here. It's, um, it's kind of, uh, astonishing that this is, um, uh, happening. Um, I'm really glad and thankful that I can speak my piece about him. That's for sure. Have you been able to reach out to him in, in the midst of all of this or, or no? Um, I've tried over Facebook. That's the only way I know of getting a hold of him. And um, is flying low under the radar right now. Um, that's that's my um, that's that's what I think and what I know of. Um, like I said last time I seen him, it was a post he posted on Facebook, and it wasn't looking so well. So if if he is listening, because it's possible, you know he he is going to be hearing this is is there anything you'd like to say to him anything you'd like him to know yeah i i, uh, I wish and hope that he's safe and um that he can reach out to me at any time that he needs and uh i'm always there for him um and uh keep your head up and you know do what's right because i know he has what in it to do what's right and uh He's a very strong, capable person, and, and um, I know he knows what's right from wrong. And, uh, yeah, I just really hope that he's okay and, and 
that everything turns out for the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me about your friend. You're very, very welcome. Have a nice night. Okay, bye. Davin got to know Justin in recent years, but the next voice you'll hear belongs to someone who has known Justin for most of her life. I'm keeping her name confidential as well, as she tells me she has received threats. Her voice is also altered to protect her. I know Justin Hall and his family, and I've known Justin for about 30 years, and I'm close to him and his immediate family. We met as young kids. We met in school, actually. And the first time we met, it was, you know, in elementary school, and we were in the same class together. Can you talk to me about what he's like as, as a young guy? Justin, when he was younger, you know, they, they kind of moved around a lot. And so he went to a few different schools. But when we first met, like I said, we were in the same class together. And he was this cute, funny kid. He liked to make people laugh. And of course, you know, when you're in class and in school and stuff, the teachers don't always like that. But he was kind of a jokester. And so he would get in, you know, some trouble for that every here and there. But yeah, he was kind of a funny guy and kind of the class clown kind of guy. As he grows older, I gather there are, are some some challenges in his in his life. Can mm -hmm. you shed any light on that? Yeah, it was Justin and his brother growing up and, and they were raised by a single mom, hardworking single mom. And, you know, they they generally stayed in the same area, but they did kind of move around a lot. But his mom was a very hard worker and she's a very skilled roofer. And so it was really just him and his brother who really kind of watched out for themselves and took care of themselves. And his older brother really looked after him and protected him, basically. And, you know, that's not always easy for kids. Um, they had some hardships growing up and life wasn't always the easiest. But Justin was always the softer of the two brothers. He was always the more sensitive one of the two brothers. And, you know, growing up in school and there were fights, you know, on the school ground or in high school or, you know, as teenagers, we would party a lot and everyone would know both of them as big partiers. Everyone would go to their house for parties. Everybody knew them. Everybody partied with them. And his older brother really looked out for him and he avoided a lot of conflict because his older brother was there for him and Craig would take the brunt of it. If Justin was never known as someone who was really in a lot of confrontation, that was always his brother. And like I said, Justin was always the more sensitive one out of the two, but his brother really protected him and honestly fought a lot of fights for him and even showed up to some fights saying that he was Justin Hall. If someone wanted to start something, Craig would take over. And uh, so, you know, he, he really looked out for him in that way. But growing up and, and throughout his childhood and adolescence, they really didn't have it easy. It was really hard. His mom, like I said, was a very hard worker, but there were times where she wasn't around a lot. And that can be really hard for for two boys. So you talked about how of the two brothers, he was the more more sensitive of the two. Can you just also, you know, expand on that and describe him a little bit 
more for me? Like, you know, what's what's he like? Like some characteristics that you would say define Justin? I mean, he 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 was never really confrontational. Like I said, he was the jokester. So he liked making making people laugh. He didn't really, you know, like a lot of confrontation. Although at the same time, if there was any, he knew that his brother would have his back in a second. He would just have to call Craig and Craig would be there in two seconds. So I think he really relied on that and depended on that. So if anything did kind of happen, he would have his brother there. But Justin was the more sensitive one. And, you know, if he he would be the one to come over and ask you, are you okay? Or, you know, I remember at one point, like he, he had a cat who he really loved and took care of his cat. And he kind of like took care of the house a little bit and watched out for his mom. And, you know, his, his brother was the more loud and boisterous one and the more in your face. And Justin was maybe the quieter kind of funny jokester guy. So yeah, his, his, his brother really looked out for him in that sense. It sounds like they were close. Very, very close. So it was absolutely devastating for Justin to lose his brother. What do you know about the circumstances there? What happened to his brother? Well, unfortunately, his brother passed away in 2010 and he was murdered in Vancouver. It was devastating for him and the family. And unfortunately, no one's been held accountable for that. So I'm sure, along with the immense grief, I'm sure that is a heavy, heavy weight. You mentioned no one had been held accountable. Mm -hmm. Was anyone ever charged or? No, no, no one was ever charged. There were, I think, I don't know, maybe 35 separate reports from people who heard gunshots. No one ever called 911. Unfortunately, Craig passed away on someone's doorsteps when he tried to, I guess, reach the door to ask for help, and he wasn't found until the next morning. And so that's also really devastating for the family to know that, to know that their family member was in need of help and didn't receive it. I know Justin mentioned it in one of his videos that he had posted um, in regards to his brother, it's it's something that really doesn't leave you. It's like left unfinished, the fact that no one's held accountable and no one's been charged. And here we are 12 years later. And it's, you know, of course, devastating on the family. But I think, I mean, aside from his mother, of course, just mostly for Justin, because like I said, his brother was always, always there for him. And unfortunately, Justin was incarcerated at the time and wasn't able to attend the funeral, which, again, is just more devastation on top of devastation. So, You mentioned he was incarcerated at the time. To what do you attribute that? Like, why has that become part of his life, do you think? I mean, they had a tumultuous childhood. It really was not easy for either of them. And, you know... I guess it started as kids, you know, little things here and there and, you know, getting in trouble, maybe sometimes with the cops or not, or maybe the cops would come and like break up a party because they would always have the wildest parties at their places. And sometimes when, you know, people experience early childhood trauma and really intense hardships, 
that can lead to, you know, rough adolescence and that can lead to PTSD, which I think he's admitted in one of his videos that he suffers from. And sometimes with all of the, the weight of that, that can sometimes lead to addiction. And, um, you know, Justin has unfortunately battled addiction for quite some time. And when addiction comes into play, sometimes crime follows with it. And um, sometimes you either need to commit crimes to support your addiction or whatever. And I think, you know, so sometimes that was a factor. I think most people can relate to having someone in their life who is struggling with addiction. How would you say that all of that impacts Justin's world from where you sit? Yeah, you know, addiction and deep-rooted trauma is a very tough battle. It's difficult to understand the psychology of that struggle and not only the physical impacts on the body, but the neurological impacts and how that affects someone's decision-making and behavior and the way they view themselves and the way they view other people in the world, to be honest. You know, it's it's devastating to not only that person, but their family and their friends. And of course, with addiction comes shame and a really skewed sense of how you view yourself and how you view the world. Um, and so it's really sad. And sometimes we don't really stop and think about that. And we don't, uh, you know, for some people... Uh, viewing it from the outside it's it's there's they're so quick to judge and look negatively when really perhaps we should just look at the situation and people with a little more compassion and just know that it's a it's it's a struggle that not that people really don't want to be in you know it's not um I mean, it, it's a disease, really. It becomes a disease, and it kind of takes control. And because it kind of skews your your sense of of who you are and and how you look at the world. You talked about how all of that would be influencing his, his decisions and how he sees himself. Is he able to have um, meaningful re relationships in his life? Yes, I think he's he's had many meaningful relationships with with family and and you know romantic relationships that have really truly meant a lot to him. He's he's grown close to people and has close ties to a few people. But of course addiction gets in the way of everything. Addiction steals people from their own lives, really. It steals people from their family, isolates them from their family, from the world. And I think that's, you know, along with, like I said, along with deep-rooted trauma, PTSD, grief, especially grief from murder is such a different sense of grief. I've I've lost people in my life you know, from old age to illness to, you know, many things, but grief from murder is a whole different ballgame. And so, you know, for Justin to experience 
these different hardships and and to have that deep rooted trauma and then addiction long term addiction on top of that it definitely affects it definitely affects how you approach relationships and and how you interact with people just in general when i'm reading his posts and and how he's describing his feelings and his life I hear somebody trying to make change or wa- wanting to make a change in his in his life. Is that what you observed? Growing up, Justin was the one who we really thought. I'm sure you know. You, if you speak to longtime friends who knew him growing up or or family, he was the one who who really had goals set for himself. He had potential. He was smart. He was the one, you know, out of the two brothers that who we really thought was going to succeed and and really make something of himself. And he really became a really skilled tradesman. You know, he's a really talented roofer. He he's even traveled to Europe to do cedar roofs, like you know, he maybe didn't continue on with his education, but he's sure street smart and he's a very skilled tradesman. And, you know, so we, we, out of the two brothers, that's how we viewed him. Like I said, with addiction and stuff, a lot of, a lot of guilt and shame comes along with that. And uh, it's hard to get out of that cycle, but he really tried, although it might have been time and time again, he definitely wanted to better himself every time he still does. Uh, I'm sure we all do. You know, we all, we always try to do better. He, he definitely wants to better his life. He always wants to continue to try and be better. Justin has a child, right? Yeah. I mean, Justin loves his son. He really, really does. You know, uh, of course, like I mentioned, addiction kind of isolates you from friends and family. And so unfortunately, along with that and his incarceration that took him away from his family. But he absolutely adores his son. It's it's scary. He doesn't want to bring anything, you know, to any of his family members. And that's that's another thing when I'm talking about, you know, people being a little more mindful with what they say in post. There are mothers involved. There are kids involved on both sides, both families in this situation. And so hopefully people will respect that and just recognize that. How old is his son? His son's a teenager now. He's a te- So he's old enough to be quite aware of this. Yeah, they've got a pretty, you know, they've got a good relationship and he's aware of his father's struggles and, and things like that. And he's a mature kid. Before the events of the past month or so, had had Justin talked to you about Amber, was that a relationship that he was comfortable talking about? Yeah, he always spoke very positively positively of her. I, I've even met her once. Unfortunately, it was just once, but she seemed lovely and he spoke very highly of her. He was supported by her, you know, emotionally, and it seemed like they were really getting along. They seemed like a really sweet couple. So... Tell me about that. Did you meet them in a a social setting or what was the, just describe a little bit of what that looked like. I don't 
live on the island and, and they were over there. So it was a visit, but I did get the chance to meet her and see them interact together. And he was very sweet with her. He's always very sweet. You know, if I've ever seen him with his girlfriends, he's always very sweet to them. And they seemed very fond of each other. I, they were, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he would put his hand lightly on her back and they, they were just very sweet together. And so at what point do you learn that, well, I guess initially it's thought that they're missing together? Yeah. So unfortunately, I learned about it like the majority of the rest of us on social media. And it was a shock. I will say, however, when someone has been battling addiction for quite some time, to go MIA for a couple of days is really not uncommon. So, but when I first heard about it and that they were both missing, that was obviously very concerning. And I just, I didn't know what to think. But unfortunately, because I learned about it on social media, I mean, initially, you know, it, it was shocking, <laughs> to say the least. It's not unusual for people who are dealing with addiction to go missing. I can appreciate that. So is that, had, had to your knowledge, had that ever happened with Justin before? Had he ever just kind of dropped out yeah. of touch? Yeah, like I wouldn't really say like they they go missing. But, you know, when someone's in the depths of their addiction, they don't want to be around sober people, you know, so they're going to go and they're going to go off and, and do their thing. So they're either going to be with other people who are getting high or they're going to be alone, which often happens, you know, when you're in the depths of your addiction, like I said, it really isolates you from the world and from your family. So, um, you know, sometimes that happens if you're using, you just kind of want to get away from the, regular world you know so i guess um unfortunately it's not really uncommon to to if if you know that they're using that they're gonna take off if it had have just been justin you would have been less concerned well i mean you're you're always concerned especially when addiction's involved you're always concerned and uh you know he's not the only person who i know who suffers from addiction and so you worry and you can go out looking for them and you can try and call around you know you do all the things try and get a hold of them see if they're okay try and get in touch, drive around and look for them if they don't have a phone, like, you know, because when people are not working and like I said, in the midst of their addiction, sometimes they don't have a phone. And so you end up going to look for them. So sometimes that happened. And in this instance, did I'm, I'm guessing you, you would have tried to reach out to him. Yeah, I tried to reach out to him, to people who he knew, you know, family on our on his side, you know, everyone tried to tried to reach out and find him. And so he does eventually surface and and I don't actually know what what that looks like, do you? Well, all I can say is that he was apparently in shock as well that everyone was looking for the both of them. To my knowledge, he was using. And so he just 
I guess, assumed that, you know, we would think it was, you know, just what he was doing. So when he did come back, he was in touch with the police because he heard about what was going on and cooperated with them, answered their questions, called them right away. And then what happens? Well, (laughs) I'm sure it was just as overwhelming as it was for everyone else to hear about what was going on. I mean, social media completely blew up and he was immediately vilified and he was just as scared as everyone else and worried of course since his girlfriend was still missing and you know it it was beyond overwhelming for him and he did not take it well no one did i guess you know when you say didn't take it well or Are you talking about his mental health at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole situation is obviously incredibly devastating for everyone across the board. And so it was devastating for him to hear about what was going on. It was scary. Him, along with family, were threatened, you know, were receiving threats. And so he was scared. People were looking for him. And of course, initially people were looking for the both of them. I think as there is a lot of the time, there is an immense amount of toxicity on social media and it spread like wildfire. And he was absolutely vilified on social media and didn't feel safe anywhere. So I think to anyone, whether you're suffering from addiction or not, it would affect anybody's mental health to know that and to feel like the whole world is looking to kill you. They're looking to get you. They're looking to find you. They're trashing you on social media. They're pulling up every little bit of information. You know, these Facebook uh, detectives are really on the prowl and that's very scary. Have you talked to him directly? Yeah. And what does he say about the last time he saw Amber? he has been and is in contact with detectives. So because this is an ongoing investigation, I can't really give, you know, too much detail. He has told anyone who needs to know what they need to know, you know, from, and from what he said publicly, they, they did have a disagreement and he wasn't working at the time. And there was a disagreement over rent because he was, I guess, living with her at the time. And, you know, he, he wasn't holding up his end of the bargain, I guess, in terms of rent. And, and they had a disagreement about that. And I know that they were kind of on and off again. And, you know, like any relationship, there's there's arguments. And and he had relapsed, you know, so he he had taken off. And, you know, he doesn't really have many close people to him. So he just kind of, he... I felt lost and just wanted to to leave for a bit. And so that's what he did. And that's what he's he's told detectives and, and everyone else. What I understand is he he has has not been and maybe understandably so, talking to Amber's family or friends. Do you know if have has there been any attempts to kind of 
talk talk to those folks? To be honest, he feels like everybody is against him, thinks that he did something wrong, and he's not really thinking that um, he's not probably not feeling like safe to reach out. He, you know, I mean, I mean, we've all seen what everyone's been saying on social media and I, he's even said himself, if he were to, he can't even search for her. If he were to show up at the search, he would be torn apart. I mean, you know, he, he I'm sure he, if, he would tell them the same thing that he's, he's told detectives and that he told, you know, the news and everyone else. But at the same time, he knows that everyone is looking at him negatively. And so, you know, he's just, he doesn't feel safe. Justin has said that he believes Amber is alive. Is, is that still his thinking? Well, I think he mentioned that there was a possibility that she could have left with someone else. And that's honestly all I know. I know that he has spoken with detectives and and told them what he knows. And when it's kind of an ongoing investigation, it's hard to really speak about or speak on that any further. Is is there anything I haven't asked anything about, uh, you know, the, the man you know that you want people to consider or think about as they follow along and, and hope for the best, obviously here. Yeah. Everyone is, um, everyone's hoping for a a positive outcome. Everyone's, you know, obviously really worried and, and concerned, but I really hope that I, like I said, that I could just help people, you know, have a little more perspective on where he's coming from and, um, and um, help with some of their, I guess, assumptions and interpretations of, of some of his posts and behaviors. Maybe just look at it with a little more compassion. And it's hard to come to conclusions or make assumptions when nobody knows exactly what happened. And and when you don't have the facts and, and you don't really know, I hope that people could just be a little more mindful with what they post and what they say and the rumors they spread and the accusations. I, I hope that, you know, bringing some perspective and sort of shedding some light and, on the struggles that not only Justin has faced in his life, but so many people have faced in their life. Um, and, you know, they don't have to like him or like what he's done or said or how he's lived his life. They don't have to approve of any of that. You know, a lot of the things his family doesn't approve of. But at the same time, it comes from a place of, of struggle and suffering. And they don't have to look at him in, in with any kind of rose-colored glasses. But it, it also realize that there are family members involved on both sides. After we speak, I get this note. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I didn't expect to get so emotional. I tried not to, but it's a hard situation. I hope that it doesn't come across as me not sympathizing with Amber's family, because that's not the case. I'm horrified for her mother and family, but I don't know them personally, and it didn't feel right speaking too much about that. 
It's possible my focus on Justin here will be upsetting to some. My hope is that adding depth and context could help lessen the tension that both families are experiencing now. And of course, there's that possibility it will spark someone who knows something to step forward. Amber Manthorn has not been found. The search for her is ongoing, and while her disappearance is certainly out of character, it may not be a crime. But police have not ruled out criminality in her case. Anyone who may have information and has not already spoken with police is asked to contact the Port Alberni RCMP at 250-723-2424. And if you want to help support Amber's friends, you can join them on Facebook through the group Finding Amber Manthorn. I'm Laura Palmer, and you're listening to Finding Amber, Island Crime Season 4. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.